Second Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 22, part B. So really, we're going to focus on verses 18 through 22 today. So verses 18 through 22. Both this and First Peter were written by the Apostle Peter uh, in the mid to late 60 AD-ish, 60s, somewhere 64, 67, somewhere in there. The purpose of 1 Peter was to encourage believers to hold up under persecution. 2 Peter is to prepare them, equip them uh, to deal with the reality of false teachers, false teachings in the church. First letter was written to encourage the church to bear up. The second one is to equip believers to stand against false teaching. And that's what we've been looking uh, at the last, you know, about three weeks in a row, we've been talking about this subject at length. Apparently, there were those just coming in or already in the church in Asia Minor, uh, leaders that were leading believers astray or attempting to. And then there was this trend that Peter seems to be, have been noticing towards apostasy, towards turning away uh, from the Lord. It's kind of a scary thing to think about. Peter has incredibly pointed um, harsh words about uh, this false teaching, these false teachers. And this whole chapter uh, is probably one of the strongest in the New Testament, uh, you know, at least, you know, warning about this threat to the church. In verses 18 through 22, now he describes the allure and the effects of this false teaching. Verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, that is the false teachers, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Father, as we spend a few moments today receiving your word through the Apostle Peter, may we be clear-minded and sober and really open up to the work that your spirit wants to do. May your words guide and shape our lives as you see fit. As we declare our complete dependence upon you again today in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In Peter's day, 67 AD-ish in Asia Minor, and in Mason City, 2024 AD, there is great susceptibility of believers to be misled and enticed by false teaching and false teachers' allurements that lead them back into a life of sin and away from the truth of the gospel. Since God clearly warns us about the deceptive tactics of false teachers— we must diligently guard ourselves against their allurements and remain steadfast in the truth of his word. Simply put, since God has given us his word, we need to stand firm in his word. And we can do this by spending a few moments looking at today, this two-part outline, the allure of false teachers, number one, and number two, the effects of false teaching. 
<clears throat> so number one, the allure of false teachers, verses 18 through 19, and then the effects of false teaching, verses 20 through 22. If you're a note taker, maybe you jot those things down. But before we get into this text, we're kind of going to go to the Old Testament and lay some foundation. So turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to talk about where deception originates. Where did it originate? Well, it origi uh, deception originated with the devil. Satan is a fallen angel, originally created by God as Lucifer, a high-ranking angel who rebelled against God. He's commonly known as the devil or the adversary, representing opposition to God and his purposes. Satan is depicted as a powerful spiritual being who opposes God's work and seeks to deceive and lead people away from God. He is described as the ruler of the kingdom of darkness and the prince of this world in scripture. Satan is characterized by his cunning, deceitfulness, and ability to masquerade as an angel of light and to deceive people. He is the accuser of the brethren, the believers, seeking to undermine your faith and accuse you before God. He is portrayed as the ultimate enemy of God and his people, but believers have victory over him through the power of Christ. Satan is ultimately defeated by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but he continues to exert his influence until his final judgment, which you can read about in the book of Revelation. Hell was created for Satan and his demons, and eventually God will take him completely and cast him into uh, hell for eternity. But now he exerts his influence in this world through a number of different ways, but mainly through deception, false teaching. Let me show you a few verses, and then I'm going to show you how this connects to this passage. John, these are going to be on the screen so you don't need to turn there. John 8, 44, this is Jesus talking about uh, the devil. He's talking to the religious leaders at the time, and he calls them. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He, talking about Satan here, talking about the devil, he says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So he's the father of lies. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 says, so the dragon, that's another way he's referred to, so the dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Second Corinthians 11, 3, Paul saying to the Corinthian church, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know, Paul's saying, I fear for this church that Satan has corrupted their minds just like he did Eve's in the Garden of Eden. Second John, verse 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. 
in that epistle there, John is talking about those who take on the characteristics who are essentially motivated or inspired, or, you know, you would call them tools of the devil. Uh, there is the Antichrist that's coming, but there are many Antichrists that have gone out. Those are um, people that are essentially are tools of the enemy. They're teaching false doctrine. They're deceiving people. They're false prophets and so on. Now to Genesis chapter three, verses one through seven. It says this, now the serpent... Notice it doesn't say snake. It says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Up to this point, God had created everything, you know, this, you know the days of creation and uh, he created Adam and Eve. He put him in the Garden of Eden. And then this is what we would call the fall of mankind. This is when sin and death came into the world. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Has God indeed said that you shall not eat every tree of the garden? You guys remember what God said to Adam and Eve? He said, you can do whatever you want in this garden. Just, you can, and he, his exact language was, you can eat freely of every tree in the garden. But then he said, this tree of, you know, the knowledge of good and evil, I don't want you to eat from that one. Just the one thing, God gave him one thing to do. But he said, everything else, you can freely eat of any tree and, and just, you know, have a nice time. <clears throat> but Satan comes along and says, did God say, has God indeed said, you shall not eat every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, which God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. End quote. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. When Satan wanted to lure our ancestors, Adam and Eve, into sin, he did it with deception. He did this by attacking Eve's mind. You hear a lot of talk about spiritual warfare. This is going to be maybe one of the most important lessons that you could receive in spiritual warfare today. I believe strongly that the enemy doesn't want us to talk about this because this is his main tactic. And he is very successful with this tactic, especially in 2024 in little old Mason City. This is what Paul, Paul clearly means in 2 Corinthians 11.3. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. He's worried that their minds were corrupted as well. So why would Satan go for the mind? Well, we are created in God's image and this is where he communicates his will to us. This is a very, there's a very dangerous move in the church today that is discouraging people from thinking and 
they will say things like, I'm just more into experiences than doctrine. See, because doctrine, they will say, divides people, and we need to be more just like everybody that claims the name Christ. We need to be unified, and doctrine divides people. To that statement, I say, yes, doctrine does divide people. It divides the true from the false, and doctrine has always divided people. Do you remember when Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring what? Division, because he's dividing people that follow and understand and know true doctrine from the people that are, you know, from false doctrine. So yes, it's true that doctrine divides. It also unites. It unites people around what is true and it divides and separates out what is false. There's a dangerous move in the church that's encouraging people more to pursue experience rather than the Bible. These people use thought-stopping devices. You ever heard of a thought-stopping device? Mind control experts, they say that there are these things called thought-stopping devices, where essentially what they will do is they will shame you for thinking through things. If you present a question in these movements, they'll say things like, you know, oh, I'm just, be, just be spiritual. Don't be one of these Pharisees. They'll loosely use the term Pharisee with no real understanding of what, what it means today. And they'll call you a Pharisee because you're trying to look at doctrine and you're trying to square what's going on. You're trying to judge what's going on in a church next to the Bible. And they'll say, oh, you're being a Pharisee, right? That is a thought-stopping device, that mind control tactic. That's a mind control tactic to get you not to think through things. It's also done in abusive relationships. It's called gaslighting in that context. And people will do that in churches to get you to keep, to try to keep you from thinking through. They don't want you to question them. We are told in the scriptures to love the Lord your God with your mind. So it, it honors the Lord to study doctrine. Paul talks about the importance of doctrine continuously through uh, you know, the epistles that he's written. God uses his truth to renew our minds and he renews our lives by renewing our minds and he does that with his truth. So you, you need to have your mind engaged in God's truth in order to have a renewed life. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, listen, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So in other words, your mind needs to be renewed so you can tell what God, what his will is. So anybody that would encourage you not to think through doctrine and not to question and not to love the Lord with your mind, that's a thought-stopping device that needs to be avoided. This is why Satan attacks the mind is because the mind is where you get to know God. It's where you get to know doctrine. It's where you get to know how to live. This is where the Lord renews your life. So, of course, Satan wants to corrupt the way that you think. You know how a doctor will say, you are what you eat? Well, it's very true that you are what you think. You know, sometimes we'll do stupid things and we'll say, oh, I wasn't thinking when I did that. That's not true. You were thinking. You were just thinking something stupid. And so you did something stupid, you know? That's how that works. I'm a professional in that. Trust me. <laughs> I know exactly. I can't ever use that excuse. I wasn't thinking because I know that my thoughts follow, or my actions follow my thoughts. 
I mean, that's how everybody works. You think of it first and then you do it. That's how life works. There are cases where people, you know, different sort of injuries or, or illnesses, they don't have control of these things, of course, you know, and God have mercy on them and help them. But, you know, if, most people, that's how it works. It's, you know, in your heart, your thoughts, that's you know, where all of your actions originate. You know, so you can't, some of you husbands are like, ah, oh, dang, I can't get away with that one anymore. Just say, I wasn't thinking, you know, like Valentine's Day is coming up. Have you got a gift already? Oh, I just wasn't thinking about it. Well, I just saved you having to sleep on the couch right here. So you could thank me later. It's okay. Look in your Bible at Genesis 3. Let's see this women, this weapon that Satan uses. Look at Genesis 3, 4. The serpent said to the woman, what did he say? Yell it out. Uh, yeah, what's the part where he contradicts the word of God blatantly? You will not surely die. And then she said, don't call me Shirley. My name's Eve. That's terrible, isn't it? The serpent said to the woman, okay, so God said, in the day that you eat of this, you will surely die. Satan says, you will not surely die. He directly contradicts the word of God. Now, I don't understand completely how this works, but Satan and demons have access to put thoughts into your mind. I don't understand how that works fully. The Bible's clear about it. If you've been walking with the Lord from some amount of time, you, you've experienced it. He blatantly contradicts, he blatantly lies about God's word, and then he adds his own lie. Look at Genesis 3, 5. For God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, listen, deception, lying about the word of God, and then tempting the lust of the flesh. This lie, you will be like God, is a motivator for false teachers and much of modern civilization. You know, people that pull themselves up by their bootstraps, the Frank Sinatras that did it my way. This is the, the lie that you're your own God. You don't need to bow to the, the Lord, the creator of the universe. You don't have any responsibility to the one who made you, to your maker. You can be your own God. You can determine what's right and wrong for your life. This is the lie that Satan gave to Eve. He says, you can be your own God. And God's holding out on you. That's what he's presenting here. Do you notice that? That's what he's presenting. God just knows that in the day that you eat of this, you'll be like him. Don't you want to be like him? Well, sure I do. This is spiritual warfare 101. When the enemy is trying to get you to fall into sin, he will get you to start thinking things like, is that really what the Bible means? I mean, when the Bible says that I shouldn't fornicate, well, my, I mean, I really love this person. You know what I mean? I really love them. So aren't we kind of married in God's eyes anyway? Well, no, the Bible says you're to submit to the government. So it's like if the government has this policy of what marriage is and you're not, you know, following the laws of the land, then, you know, it doesn't matter how you think about it. It matters how God sees it. But see how he gets in your mind and he starts, he starts to twist things, you know? Well, listen, I mean, my tax person says that it's okay to do this, even though I, I know that that's not right. I mean, I know I didn't make this amount of money, but they're saying that it's okay to like round up, but I know I didn't do that, you know? Well, you see what I mean? He starts to get in there and, and did the Bible really say don't lie? I mean, does that mean in every situation? Are there situations where it's okay to lie? You know, and, and see, this is what he starts to do. He starts to wrangle with you in your mind. You will be like God, 
you will be able to create and manifest. Don't you know that you are little gods? We're all God. I'm God. You're God. This is the lie of the new age. It's very prevalent today. So let's look at how uh, Eve responds to Satan's attack on her mind. She does three things I want you to notice. She takes away from God's word. She adds to God's word. And she changes God's word. First of all, when Satan asked her about eating the tree, she said, we may eat of every tree of the garden. She left out a very important word, freely. Because God has, he's so gracious. He's so gracious that he's freely given you this. You can do whatever you want. He's freely given, but she leaves that word out. Because don't you know in times of temptation when the enemy's trying to get involved in your life and he's trying to get you to fall, you, you tend to start forgetting how gracious God has been and how good he is, don't you? You forget just exactly how much he's done for you and how good he is to you. Then she adds, she says, yeah, he said a word, you know, we could have all the trees. She leaves out the word freely, but then she says, we're not even supposed to like touch that tree. She says, you're not supposed to eat it or touch it. Do you know God didn't say anything about don't touch it? She added that. Because in times of temptation, not only do you forget how good God's been to you, but you also start to think that he's more harsh than he really is too, don't you? You start to think his commandments are burdensome. Oh my gosh, this getting together with people on Sunday morning. I hate to wake up early. I hate to go do all this stuff. Why do I got to do this? He's so, he's so mean, but he's making me get to get, you know. That's how the enemy starts to get it. He starts to play with the lusts of your flesh. He starts to play with your entitlement issues. And you start to then add to his word. He says, don't even touch it. He's so harsh. The last thing she does is she corrects it. And she quoted incorrectly. And she said, lest you die, which is different than you will surely die. She forgets how gracious God is. She thinks that he's more burdensome than he really is, but then also diminishes the severity of the punishment that comes from disobeying God. And tell me people aren't doing that all day long with his word as they play fast and loose with their responsibility to their creator. I go through this stuff. I don't know if you do. This is spiritual warfare 101. She was deceived and she fell into Satan's trap. Satan cleverly made it seem like God's holding out on her. This is what God, or this is what the enemy often does. He makes it seem like you are missing out on something great by following Jesus, right? He offers you the things of the world and then it looks, that it starts to seem like Christianity is real repressive and oppressive. And then you start to think, man, if I could just be free to be like these people, it looks like they're having such a good time. I mean, I'm watching TV. I see this beer commercial. They're all partying on the roof of some place. They got a DJ going, you know, they got a DJ on this roof. They got a DJ in the bathroom. They're like playing beach volleyball and like everybody's partying and, you know, it's Corona, man, and all this stuff like that. And you think, wow, that looks so fun. I mean, God's such a killjoy, man. He wants, you know, and that's how the devil starts to get in your mind. And uh, he starts to make it think like, you know, make you think God's holding out something good. You know, when you're, when you fall into sin, the devil made a good case that that thing was going to bring you something 
and he promises you stuff that just does not deliver. And you know that. If you've given into it, you know, guys that have struggled with pornography, you know how that is. Pornography is like a, like a magnification of this, you know what I mean? Because you get this lust going, and it builds, and it builds, and then you engage in that stuff, and then instantly you're like, oh, man, that was totally not the right thing. But the whole time, the enemy's like, yeah, yeah, this is going to give you something. You know what I mean? Same thing with, you know, materialism. You know what I mean? People that sit and just shop and shop and shop, and they got all this stuff, and they I thought for sure I would be happy after I bought this like, you know, 50th pair of shoes. And after I remodeled my house like the fifth time, you know, I thought I would, you know, have everything. I would be satisfied or else after I, you know, got this new spouse or this new mate, you know, I thought that it would be what I needed. And then the devil just sits and laughs. He goes, look, I just made it seem like God was holding out on you to the point to where you caved because of the lust of your flesh. And now you've put yourself in bondage. And that's his game all day long. I used to have a stepdad. I would like to say God rest his soul, but I think he went to hell, honestly. And he, uh, I used to say, why do you drink a gallon of whiskey all the time and smoke three packs a day? And he goes, I can do whatever I want. And I was like, he's, I'm free to do whatever I want. I said, are you free enough to quit? I don't have anybody mastering me. Oh yeah, you do. Cheap whiskey and cigarettes. Those are your master. You know what I mean? Why? I'm free to do what I want. You're, you're not free to do what you want, dude. You're on a short leash. In fact, I see you out in back of the bar in like 20 below weather going, you know, like you're a slave, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? And your slave master is harsh, man. Look at what you're going through. You got frostbite all over you. Oh my gosh. But it was worth it. It was worth it. God help people. This is what the enemy does. He promises you freedom with a trap to get you put into bondage. This is what he does. Jesus offers freedom, following Christ, looking away from self and looking to Christ, saying, I'm done with my life. I'm done with all this stuff that enslaves me, that ensnares me. The only way to come out of bondage of self is to come into bondage to Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Amen. Otherwise, you're a slave. That's it. Satan attacks the mind through deception. Look at what Eve did, Genesis 3, 6. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Don't ask your stomach to make decisions for you. It was pleasant to the eyes. Oh, that looks just great. That would look great on my wall. That chandelier would look so marvelous in my entryway. How much was that thing? Oh, you know, it was a... You know, or, you know, it looks good to the eyes, the prestige. And it was desirable to make one wise. I want to have the knowledge of good and evil. I want to be the one that dictates what's right and wrong for my life. I want that. I do. That's the pride of life. Lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And she fell for it. And all Satan had to do is just make it seem like God wasn't as gracious as he was, that he was holding out, and she did the rest. She perverted the word of God. She took from it, she added to it, and she just changed it, and he laughed. And I would say that that's this Adam and Eve, that's the worst fall of all, right? Because, I mean, we're all involved with it after that, because through one man came sin. And here we are, needing a savior. This is why Peter wrote to these believers, uh, like people today, because they're susceptible to deception. Let's go to 2 Peter. Number one, the allure of false teachers. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness. So 
A false teacher, typically lots of extravagant, boastful words drawing attention to themselves, but empty of any substance or spiritual content. It says they allure through the lusts of the flesh through lewdness. These people are skilled and they understand of how to uh, lure people, how to entice them, and how to bait people by appealing to the desires of the sinful flesh. My sinful flesh wants to live for self. It wants to live for its own desires. It wants to be the captain of its own ship. It wants to bow to nobody. It wants to do it its way. It wants to do it my way. You know what I mean? That's what the flesh wants. Now, when you read these words, lusts and all this other stuff, don't think of somebody that's just completely depraved. Think of the person that's working to the bone to be very successful in their career, not keeping any, any you know, not keeping God in their mind, not responsible to God. These aren't people that always look like they're depraved on the outside. These are people that are simply serving self rather than serving the Lord who made them. It can look very respectable on the outside. It's just they're not serving Jesus. Now, here's the whole thing, is these false teachers, they know how to appeal to this desire to live for self. This is why the prosperity gospel is so attractive to people because you say, I can be right with Jesus and yet pursue all of my dreams? That sounds really great, you know? Um, I can pursue wealth and health and, and uh, you know, power and prestige and significance, and I can get all these things out of being a Christian. Well, that's a very appealing false teaching. And God may give you all those things. He may not. In fact, the Bible says more often that you will experience a life of persecution, and, you know, as, when you serve Jesus Christ, when you serve the true and living Christ. So it says that they allure through the lust of the flesh. They know how to go for this desire in people for them to live for self, right? However that looks. They've made Christianity all about you. They've turned it into a self-help thing instead of a self-death thing. They've made it seem like you can pursue Christ, but really what you're doing is pursuing you. Now, it's everywhere. You can, you can see it. Just start. Let me give you a little practical advice right here. If you go to other churches, you know, and you check them out, just listen to a sermon and think about, is it all about you or is it all about God? And just, you know, some people I've even heard of them taking a, a, a sheet of paper and then just kind of keep and, keep and tally. This thing's about me. This thing's about me. Well, this is about God, you know, and they kind of just, just, just discern. Do, do you start to feel this desire inside of you where you're like, I can achieve anything. I can, I can do anything I can set my mind to. Remember the episode of King of the Hill when Hank was the, was the president of the softball team and they said, how are we going to win state? And he pulls up his shirt and it says, believe to achieve, <laughs> right? Oh, nobody watches that show anymore. But, you know, believe to achieve. I can do it, man. I can, I can do anything I set my mind to. If that's what you're getting from a Christian sermon week after week after week, that's not a Christian sermon. That's a self-help message, you know? And it's, it's not, you know, it's not all that obvious because they put the Jesus words in there, you know. They make it seem like Jesus just wants to help you have your goals met. You have a dream in you and the enemy has came and he's stolen that dream from you and you've been crushed down through life. But don't you know that if you return to God and focus on your goals, see that, that kind of stuff. Now, when I want my dog to do something, I use treats to lure him. And that's what these false teachers do is they use treats. My dog falls for it every time. You just put it in his mouth like a little bit. And once he gets a little taste of it, then he's got to follow you wherever, you know, that's how humans work when they hear this prosperity message. So who would believe this kind of message? 
Well, not a strong biblical follower of Christ. Look at what it goes on there. It says that um, uh, in our passage, it says they allure those, uh, lure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. That has the idea of like being new converts. These are people that have, you know, they're just starting to learn the gospel. They're just starting to learn about Christianity. But when they hear the idea you can be a Christian and still live for the things of the world, they eat that stuff up. They're just baby Christians, you know, for the most part. <clears throat> Today, these baby Christians, the words of the false teachers are appealing. They make you feel powerful and significant and able to succeed and have great abundance. Look at this allure tactic in verse 19. They promise them liberty, but they themselves are slaves. Captivating tactic. I'm going to give you freedom to fulfill all your dreams. And in that, it puts you in the bondage to self. You're now a slave to serving yourself. Jesus came to free you from serving yourself. They put you right back into the bondage of serving self. We're to live to please God, not ourselves. Living a life of the pursuit of self is sin. Think of it just for a second. If you live to pursue food, if that's like a huge priority to you in your life, you'll make yourself sick eventually. You'll be addicted to it. I was so addicted to sugar, you know, for a while that when I tried to eat uh, kale, I was like, better get some, something else. <laughs> this is nasty. But you detox off of that stuff and get that profitable drug out of your system. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, kale, right? It's actually pretty good. No, I still don't like kale that much. <laughs> you know, I just really don't. Yeah. You know, think about it. You live for relationships. Uh, you become, you have an unhealthy relationship. If you live for relationships, if that's your idol, if that's the God of your life, I guarantee you, you don't have healthy relationships. Rockefeller, John Rockefeller, one of the richest people ever, right? He says, I can think of nothing less pleasurable than a life dedicated to pleasure. Amen. Carnegie, how much money is enough? One more dollar. So you put yourself in bondage to these things when you live for these things. Devil wants you to, tr he wants to trick you into thinking that living for self is freedom when it's actually the opposite. Look at verse 19 going on. He says, for by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Let me read the NASB translation of that. It's a little more clear. It reads like this. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. When you live a life of pursuing self, when you live a life of sin, you become enslaved to that life. John 8, 34 says, Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 12, this is what Paul says. Listen to this. A lot of people ask, and as Christians today, they say, can I do this or can I do that? It's not really the right question. Paul answers that question. He says, all things are lawful for me. So if you're asking me, can I or can't I? I mean, that's not really the question. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. Hmm, that's true. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. 
Um, can I smoke cigarettes as a, as a Christian? That's really not the right question. The question is, is like, can you, can you smoke these things without being mastered by them? Because you're supposed to be mastered by Jesus, not nicotine, you know? Remember, the devil in Genesis, he was hinting that God was holding out on Eve. She bit it and gave in to his tactic and deception. She and Adam fell into bondage of death and corruption. So their allure, boastful, hyped up words, no spiritual content, offering freedom, but really bringing you into slavery to sin and the devil. Number two, in our last point here, here are the effects of false teaching, verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Now, the question about this, well, going on, let me read uh, verse 21. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. So in those verses right there, there are a lot of questions that people have been debating for years and years. They're saying, um, is, is Peter talking about believers being able to lose their salvation? Like they got tricked by these false teachers. And so the, like it says there, um, they had escaped the pollutions of the world. That would make us think that it's Christians. They had escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. It almost sounds like this was a Christian that lost their salvation. You know, this is the big debate in the theological scholars. And he says it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. So it makes it sound like these guys, you know, guys and gals knew the truth, like they had escaped the pollutions of the world and that they had turned and lost their salvation almost. Um, big debate going on for a long time. The Calvinist would say that these were Christians that were never Christians, the reformed people. Arminians would say they're Christians that lost their salvation. Um, I know you're curious where I come down on this debate. I'll tell you this, it's a worthless debate doesn't really matter to me. I will tell you that I believe 100% in the security of the believer. I believe in the eternal security of the believer. Can a person lose their salvation? Why are you asking? I think it's legitimate if somebody is wondering if they have lost their salvation to look at their life and see if there's any fruit of salvation because Jesus says you can judge a tree by its fruit. So if somebody says, I'm a Christian, and you look at their life and you see no evidence that they're a Christian, they're not in the word of God, they don't like the word of God at all, they're not in prayer, they're not in fellowship with other believers, they have no desire to serve the Lord, they don't, they don't do anything that, sh that looks Christian, it's safe to assume that person's not a Christian. I would treat them like that. I would evangelize them like they're like that. I would say, you need Jesus in your life, you know, because well, why I'm a Christian. Are you sure? I don't see Jesus in your life anywhere. Let me restate this. And don't misquote me because some of you will probably leave here today and say, Pastor Adam believes in eternal security, you know, for everybody. And then somebody will probably leave here saying, he believes you can lose your salvation. Let me be very clear. The Bible, I believe this is scriptural, that there's eternal security for the believer. And I'm deliberately leaving it there. I would not want to give any of you any sort of security that you're a Christian today if you don't have any desire in following Jesus Christ. It's not that following and doing the things saves you. It's that when you are truly saved, there's a desire in your heart to please the Lord Jesus Christ. There just is. If you want to examine this further with yourself, please read the book of 1 John and look at every part in there where it says, I've written these things to you that you may know. 1 John is written so you may know who is saved and who isn't saved. It says right in that book. That's the purpose of it. Don't misquote me. 
I believe absolutely in the eternal security of the true believer. Verse 22, but it happened to them according to the true proverb that a dog returns to its own vomit. This is the one that kind of tosses it up. Essentially what it's getting at there is like, oh man, I hate it when my dog does this. I mean, I love him. (laughs) I like to snuggle with the guy, you know what I mean? He's a golden retriever. I'll be hugging him and stuff like that. And then one day, you know, and then you're like, Dude, you know, go outside, you know, and then, uh, you know, sure enough, man, and then he's walking back over to it, like, don't do it, man, but it's, you know, it says right in the Bible, it's, I mean, it must have always been true, back to Proverbs days, I mean, the dog's just curious about their, essentially what he's getting at here is, you know, there are people in churches that look Christian all day long, you know, but when push comes to shove, you'll see them go right back into their sin, you know. And uh, the human, fallen, sinful human nature has a desire to go back into that fallen state. It, it wants to go back there. And then he uses the other illustration of, of a sow having washed. Can you imagine that? Pig getting out of the shower. <laughs> it's a towel, monogram towel, like a pee. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Putting on some cologne and then like, gotta go wallow in the mire. You know, let me get back in there. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Here's the end of it. Warned of the allure and the false teachers and the effect uh, of their false teachings. Let me make a few points of application, okay? And take these home with you. Apologize, we're a few minutes over, but uh, I think this is helpful. How do you... How do you make it to where you are less susceptible to false teaching? Well, the Bible says this. Do not love the things of the world things that are, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it But he who does the will of God abides forever. If I don't love the things of the world, you can't tempt me with the things of the world, right? I used to be so tempted. I'd come in here on Sunday nights and eat our meals. And like, it was so tempting for me for a while because it's like, dude, it's like calorie chapel. I mean, it's like a whole table full of stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, brownies and stuff. But you know, now that I got the love of that stuff out of my life, I'm not even tempted by it, you know? I mean, it happens occasionally, but for the most part. And I, so I think that's a good application. There's a book that I would commend to you. It's a sermon, actually, 45-minute sermon by a guy named Thomas Chalmers. And it's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Now, this Scottish preacher, what he's getting at there is he says, you know, people change not by railing on something, oh, it's sin, sin, sin. They don't change like that. They actually follow their greatest desires in life. They, they really do. So what he's getting at is you need to fall in love with Jesus. You need to understand who Jesus is. Get to know him and love him. Fall in love with his ways. And when you do that, everything else just kind of seems like junk food, you know? I'm not really tempted by the way that the world lives anymore because I know the end of all that stuff. I mean, I used to go out on Friday night and come home on Monday morning. Like, I am not drawn to that anymore. That was misery, you know? I'm so drawn to the way that Jesus lives. He's so winsome. That's all I want to do is be like him and be with him. That's all I want. And that just comes from being in his word, being in prayer, being in fellowship with other believers, sharing, hearing testimonies, serving him. 
That's how that comes. You need to fall in love with that which is better for you. You know, and, that, and that's the first little application I would give you. Just don't love the things of the world. Fall in love with Jesus. And, and he's so wonderful. He's so magnificent. He's so grace-giving, so merciful. He's so kind. He's so wise. He always knows the right thing to do. He's always with you. He brings real, lasting comfort through his Holy Spirit. He instructs you. He lifts you up. He's so worthy of praise. He's so wonderful. I just want to be like him. Next thing, being gullible makes you susceptible to false teachers, okay? So your zeal and your feelings can cloud your thinking. If you go into a church and you just automatically assume it's anointed by the Holy Spirit because the worship's good, I mean, dude, you gotta think a little deeper than that, you know? You know what I'm saying? You gotta listen to the teaching. Somebody could have all dialed in light show, know how to play major seventh chords, and you think, oh, the Holy Spirit's calling me to worship. No, it's major seventh. I play a major chord, you sound excited. I play major seventh, you sound like it makes you feel like crying. There's a difference, you know? And a good musician knows the difference between those things. And good songwriters know how to make it to where here comes the worship part, here comes this. So if you walk into a church and your emotions are all over the place and your emotions are like really the center of how you gauge whether something's good and biblical or not, dude, you're gullible. If I could do anything, I want to make you suspicious. I really do. You say, is that scriptural? It sure is. 1 John 4.1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they, are not, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. He also says in that same section, anybody that does not confess Jesus is God in the flesh is antichrist. I don't care if it is, uh, you know, your favorite Christian politician. Don't be gullible. Last thing, cultivate a word, a love for the word of God. Psalm 119.11, he says, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. He loves the word. Read, let me give you an assignment for this week. Please read Psalm 119 and pray. Pray about it. If you don't have a love for the word of God, you gotta check your heart. You gotta see if you're really a Christian, first of all because this is, it produces a love. If you are in the word, it's, if you know the author of the word, if you know the one who gave the word, you're in love with him, you wanna know everything that he's gotta say, that should just be in there, you know? And so pray over Psalm 119 and ask the Lord to work these things in your heart.